أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters ورحمة الله وبركاته I'd like to welcome you all to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad So we were speaking about the, the siege of the fortress of Bani Qurayza. If you recall, this Jewish tribe had committed treason against the Prophet and the Muslims from within Medina. They colluded with the enemies. They uh, turned against the Prophet in the middle of the battle of Khandaq, when the Muslims were at their most vulnerable point. And the Prophet ﷺ, of course, he took the matter very seriously. After the Ahzab went back, after the army was disbanded, the Prophet ﷺ, he turned his attention to the treacherous uh, Banu Qurayza. The fortress of Bani Qurayza was uh, sieged for about a month, about 25 days or so. There were some skirmishes, there was uh, some fighting that took place, but ultimately, Banu Qurayza, they surrendered. Now, the Aus, so if you recall, the, the Muslims, the residents of Medina, are comprised mainly of the tribes of uh, Al-Aus and Khazraj. The, the leaders of Al-Khazraj were instrumental in uh, helping the Banu Nadir and Banu Qaynuqa' leave Medina without receiving a harsh punishment from the Prophet uh, for their betrayal. Now the Aus, of course, uh, being allies of Banu Qurayza, they wanted to take advantage of this opportunity to demonstrate their significance in the Muslim community by uh, playing arbiter between the Prophet and the, the Jews of Banu Qurayla. So the Aus, they sent a deputation to the Prophet asking him to show clemency and leniency to their former allies. And this is exactly what the Khazraj did with, uh, with Banu Nadir and uh, Banu Qaynuqa'ah. The Prophet ﷺ, of course, this is what we see in the seerah, the Prophet was uh, a very consultative leader. He listened to their plea attentively, and he asked the Aus if they would be satisfied if he placed the fate of Banu Qurayza in the hands of their chief, none other than Sa'ad ibn Ma'adh. Now, the Aus, of course, they were elated by this. You know, the fact that Sa'ad ibn Ma'adh would play this important role where he would effectively be the judge, the arbiter, the one who would determine the fate of their allies. And of course, the Aus were hoping that he would show them mercy, that he would be lenient in the judgment that he would issue. So the Aus, they they rush back to Medina. Now remember, 
the fortress of Banu Quraidha lies south uh, of Medina. It's still technically part of Medina, but it's on the outskirts. It's the southern part of that region. It's, it's away from the city center. So they travel north to uh, Medina to inform Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad that he has been selected by the Prophet to act as the arbiter, to act as the judge uh, who would uh, mete out the sentence to Banu Qurayla. So they go to Medina, and the reason why uh, Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad was in Medina is because he was actually injured in the battle of Khandaq. He was injured in the battle. He was shot uh, with an arrow, apparently. And he was taken to an emergency tent. You know, there were no hospitals at that time. So it was, it was a sort of a makeshift uh, hospital in the form of a tent. He was receiving uh, medical treatment uh, for his wounds. So the Os, some of the members of the Os, they rushed back to Medina. They inform Sa'ad that he's been chosen. And when Sa'ad, of course, Sa'ad knows that he's, he's injured. He probably senses that he may not survive uh, this injury. So when he, he receives news that he has been appointed as an arbiter, he says, لَقَدْ آنَ لِسَعْدٍ أَن لَا تَأْخُذُهُ فِي اللَّهِ لَوْمَ تَلَائِمٍ He utters to himself when he hears news that he's been appointed. He says the time has come for Sa'd to make a decision without being influenced by the naysayers. Now, of course, his own clansmen, the members of the, the Os, they were all influencing him to show leniency to Banu Qurayla. In fact, some of them even told Sa'ad, they even told him that the only reason why the Prophet appointed you as the arbiter is because he expects you to be merciful towards Banu Qurayla. So you have some people within the Aus who are trying to influence him. They're trying to pressure him to go easy on their former allies. So Sa'ad, of course, you know, he's, he's injured. He's, he mounts a, a donkey or a mule and he's escorted. He travels south to go meet the Prophet and the Muslims and to face the Banu Qurayla. He arrives to give his verdict, the Prophet ﷺ, he commands his companions, according to some historical accounts, to stand up out of respect for him because he's effectively going to be a judge uh, in regard to this matter. So Al-Waqidi, the famous Muslim historian, he reports uh, the, uh, the incident in, uh, in detail. He says, قَالَ سَعَدْ فَإِنِّي أَحْكُمُ فِيهِمْ Sa'ad says that I will issue my judgment. And the judgment that he makes shocks many of his uh, clansmen. He says, My decree, my judgment upon Banu Qurayza is He says, my verdict is that every adult male is to be killed. 
Manjarat alayhi al-Musi literally means that I I decree that every every male who has felt the blade, meaning this is a reference to circumcision. So he's saying that every adult male, because all uh, the Jews, you know, uh, they were uh, the males were circumcised, especially the the ones who were adults. He says every adult male must be killed. And the women and the children are to be taken as captives. They are to be taken as captives. And the property, the wealth of Banu Qurayza is to be distributed. It's to be distributed among the Muslims. Now, when Sa'ad issues this verdict, the Prophet sallallahu comments, فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ لَقَدْ حَكَمْتَ بِحُكْمِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلِ مِنْ فَوْقِ سَبْعَةِ أَرْقِعَةِ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi he says to Sa'ad that your judgment against them is the same as God himself on his throne. Meaning that this is the judgment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wanted, and inshallah, we'll speak about uh, some of the details uh, regarding, you know, how many uh, how many men were executed, who specifically was executed. Was it all the males, or is it just the ones who fought? Uh, we'll get into that shortly, inshallah. The narration of Al Waqidi Al Waqidi continues. He says, "وَكَانَ سَعَدَ بِالْمَعَاذِ فِي اللَّيْلَةِ الَّتِي فِي صُبْحِهَا نَزَلَتْ قُرَيْضَ عَلَى حُكْمِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ the eve, the the previous night, earlier that night, so this judgment was issued by Sa'ad during the day, so the night before, Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad, he was in his tent, in that hospital tent in Medina, he made a dua the previous night. This was before he was even informed that he was the arbiter. The narration says that his dua went as follows. He said, Allahumma in kunta abqayta min harbi Quraysh shay'an fa'abqini laha. Sa'ad says, O oh Allah, if there is still a battle to be fought against Quraysh, then give me life enough to live to fight in that last battle. I mean, look at the, the dedication and the determination of this man. He's wounded. He's experienced this long, drawn-out battle in the Battle of Ahzab or the Battle of Khandaq. And he's still willing. He, he only wants to live longer to fight against these ruthless enemies. فَإِنَّهُ لَا قَوْمَ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ أَنْ أُجَاهِدَهُمْ مِنْ قَوْمٍ آذَوْ رَسُولَكَ وَكَذَّبُوهُ وَأَخْرَجُوهُ he says, because there is no enemy, there is no group that I would love to fight more than those who have hurt your prophet, who have belied and rejected your prophet, and who have expelled your prophet. Because Quraysh ultimately, you know, they, they physically and emotionally caused a lot of harm to the prophet. They called him a liar. They rejected him, and they also expelled him from his home. They expelled him from Mecca. 
So Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad is saying that there is nothing that would make me happier. There is nothing that is more beloved to me than to fight people like that. To be the tip of the spear, as they say. To be the thorn in their sides. That if, that if, if, there, is a, if there is more fighting with Quraysh, then give me life so I can continue to fight them. Allahumma wa in kunta qad wadat al harba bainana wa bainahum fajal huli shahada. But if there is no war, if there is no more war to be fought between us and Quraysh, then let me die the death of a martyr. Right, so he was wounded in battle. He's saying, Oh Allah, if this issue is going, if there is no more fighting with if there's no more war to fight with Quraysh, then take me back to you as a shaheed. Take me back to you as a martyr. And then he says, وَلَا تَمُتْنِي حَتَّى تَقِرَّ عَيْنِي مِنْ بَنِي قُرَيْضَ And do not let me die until my eyes are gladdened with the destruction of Qurayza. You know, let me see something that is going to make me happy and satisfied. And of course, the, the next day, he is informed that he is the, the arbiter uh, of, this, uh, of this issue with Banu Qurayza. He is the one who will decide their fate. So the narration of Al-Waqidi continues, So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He fulfilled His prayer. So Sa'ad, the, the verdict was given that the men, the adult males, are to be executed. So Sa'ad commands all the men to be taken to the home of Usama ibn Zayd. Okay. When Nisa wa as for the women and the children, they are to be taken ila dar ibn al-Harith to the to the house of of al-Harith's daughter, you know, one of the sahabiyat. Wa amara Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi bi ahmal al-tamur fanuthirat alayhim. Of course, you know, the women and the children, they're, they're prisoners, they're captives. The Prophet ordered bags of dates to be brought to feed the prisoners. So, you know, they started to nibble on, uh, on the dates that were provided to them. وَجَعَلُوا لَيْلَتَهُمْ يَدْرُسُونَ التَّوْرَاهِ the Jews, they spent the night reading the Torah. وَأَمَرَ بَعْضُهُمْ بَعْضًا بِالثَّبَاتِ عَلَى دِينِهِ وَلِزُومِ التَّوْرَاتِ So the Jews, they spent the entire night reciting the Torah. And they were advising one another to be steadfast. To hold fast to their religion. To stand by their scripture. To stand by the Torah. Now, it's important here to note that when you look at the historical accounts, Ibn Ishaq, who is you know, one of the most authoritative uh, 
biographers of the Prophet, he says that there were anywhere between, and when you look at how many men were actually uh, executed, there are hundreds, anywhere between, you know, six to eight hundred men were executed, according to historians, according to uh, uh, Ibn Ishaq. However, that is unlikely that it was that many who were uh, executed. And the reason why is that when you look at this narration, the narration of Waqidi, Sa'ad commands all the men to be taken to the home of Usama ibn Zayd. If 700 were executed, how is it possible that you're going to fit you know, 500, 600, 700, 800 men in one house. What kind of house is this where that many men can fit in? So this is what has prompted some scholars to say that what is more likely is that the Prophet ﷺ or Sa'ad ibn Ma'adh, he gave the judgment to execute those who actively fought, who actively fought against uh, the Prophet. So this is one theory. So there is a difference of opinion among Muslim scholars regarding how many people were actually executed. So some have looked at this narration and said that if, if all of the adult males who were executed from the Prophet were taken to the house of Usama ibn Zayd, this is an indication that the number was probably significantly less than what uh, Ibn Ishaq uh, reports. So it could be that the Prophet uh, took the others as prisoners and only executed uh, those who were actively uh, treacherous or who actively fought against uh, the Prophet and the Muslims because there were, there, were some, there were some arrows that were exchanged. So some of them were more combative than the others. So the, the the judgment of execution applied to those active uh, fighters. So this is one theory uh, that has been put forward. In any case, the men and the women, they're separated. Uh, dates are given to them. Uh, and they spend the entire night reading the Torah and exhorting one another to hold fast to their religion. The narration of uh, Al-Waqidi continues saying, وَأَمَرَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ بِالسِّلَاحِ وَالْأَثَاثِ وَالْمَتَاعِ وَالثِّيَابِ The Prophet ordered that all of the weapons, the furnishings, of course, so this, all of this is being taken out of the fortress. So they, they, take, they confiscate the weapons, the furnishings, the provisions, the food, the garments, you know, the, the, the silk, the fabrics, and so on. So all of that was taken to the, the house of Harith's daughter, right? As for the cattle, right? The the camels and the uh, the goats and the sheep and so on, the Prophet uh, he allowed, he ordered that the animals be left alone to graze outside of the fortress. And then, 
قالوا ثم غدا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله إلى السوق. Then the Prophet صلى الله عليه وآله he went to the marketplace, the marketplace that was nearby. فأمر بخدود فخدت. The Prophet ordered some trenches to be built. Basically, he 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 ordered for some mass graves to be built. And they were built ما بين موضع داري أبي جهم العدوي إلى أحجار الزيت بالسوق. So the you know it was the companions you know they started to to dig and the prophet outlined that it should be from this individual's house to this place in the the marketplace. So a mass grave was dug. فكان أصحابه يحفرون هناك. The companions they started to dig. The prophet صلى الله عليه وآله he gave the order. وجلس رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله ومعه علية أصحابه. The Prophet was sitting as the companions were digging, and he was sitting with uh, some of the most senior, the senior companions. ودعا برجال بني قريظة. The Prophet called upon the men of بني قريظة. فَكَانُوا يَخْرُجُونَ رَسَلًا رَسَلًا تُضْرَبُ أَعْنَاقُهُمْ So they were, they came out in groups. Presumably they're coming out of the, of the house of Usama ibn Zayd. And they were struck uh, upon their necks. Meaning that they were, they were beheaded, they were executed, and they were put in the, the graves. Now again, there are different figures that have been mentioned regarding the number of individuals who are executed, but I'm definitely inclined to believe that it's probably not uh, seven, eight hundred. It was probably you know twenty, thirty, forty. Who knows? These are there because they're coming out of the house of Usama ibn Zaid, and I find it very hard to believe that five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred men are residing in the house of Usama ibn Zayd. We have no evidence that Usama ibn Zayd lived in some type of palace where he could house uh, that many people. Now, a question that I'm sure comes to mind, especially when we know that the Prophet ﷺ is described in the Qur'an as the Prophet of mercy. You know, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ This seems to go against the the noble character of the Prophet. The Prophet who is known for his mercy and his leniency and his tolerance. That how could he agree? How could he give you know, a tacit approval to such a harsh punishment that was issued by Sa'ad ibn Ma'adh? So there are a number of, uh, of reasons and I'll just mention four of them. And uh, so the first of them the reason why the, the punishment was very harsh is that the Prophet as, as we've discussed, the Prophet he had gone easy on the other two tribes who had committed, uh, who had betrayed him. Banu Qaynuqa and Banu Nadir. And the Prophet he didn't execute them, he basically expelled them. He expelled them from Medina. He allowed them to take uh, their belongings. So reason number one is that the Prophet had gone easy with the other two tribes because their treason had been less heinous. Yes, they committed treason. Yes, 
Banu Nadir were planning on assassinating the Prophet. However, when you compare the treason of Banu Qaynuqa and Banu Nadir to the treason that was committed by Banu Quraydah, it's incomparable. Because Banu Quraydah committed a treasonous act by aligning themselves with the Ahzab, which ultimately led, which could have potentially led to the extinction of Islam and the Muslims. So their treachery was not comparable to the treachery of their counterparts. It was not comparable to the treachery of Banu Qaynuqa' and Banu Nadir. You know, they had committed the most egregious form of treason that in the middle of a war, an act of war, you are you are inside of the city and you turn on the Prophet. So the the treason that was committed by Banu Qurayza was treason of the highest order, and it put all of the Muslims at risk of complete annihilation. So this is number one. Number two, the, the Qurayza broke the covenant at a potentially disastrous moment. In the, so the, the first was that their treason, the treason of Qaynuqa and, uh, and Nadir was less. So that's why their, their punishment was not as severe. And secondly, and I've already alluded to this, is that Qurayza, they broke their covenant with the Prophet at a very critical moment. And this is when they, they basically risked the annihilation of the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ could not allow this to, uh, to go unpunished. So the Qurayza, they broke their covenant with Rasulullah at a potentially, of course, Alhamdulillah, the, you know, the Ahzab were not able to invade thanks to the, the, uh, the suggestion of Salman al-Farisi and the, the wisdom of the Prophet So Qurayza, they broke their covenant with the Prophet at a potentially disastrous moment in the Battle of Ahzab and they conspired to launch. So remember, they were planning on launching an internal attack as soon as the Ahzab invade, the Muslims would have been attacked from outside of the border and even within. And their goal, the goal of Banu Qurayza was to do what? Was to completely wipe out the Muslims once and for all. Number three is the sanctity of the Prophet's covenants had to be maintained. If the Prophet does not punish groups for breaking their covenants, no one is going to respect any treaty with the Prophet. So if the Prophet is being merciful and lenient with this group and that group, then people will be emboldened to violate their agreements with the Prophet. If they make a treaty with the Prophet, they'll feel as if there's, there's no punishment. So the sanctity of the Prophet's covenant had to be maintained. That sanctity has to be upheld. If he went easy on a betrayal of this magnitude, this will embolden others to do even worse. And number four, and finally, with the loss of their last ally in Medina, because Banu Qurayza, they were the final ally 
of Quraysh that live inside of Medina by eliminating Banu Quraydah or at least those combatant individuals of Banu Quraydah with the loss of their last ally in Medina Quraysh's will to fight was neutralized. So if Quraysh had any fight left in them the Prophet ﷺ, he deflated them by removing one of their most important allies who live inside, who reside in Medina. So that's why the Prophet ﷺ was harsh. And harshness is not always a bad thing. You know, sometimes harshness is warranted. You know, when an enemy betrays the people and puts the entire community at risk of annihilation, that's not that's not the time to show them mercy because the Prophet also has to think about the safety and the security of Muslims. He has to think about the safety and security of the women and the children who look up to him as their protector, as their as their uh, as their leader. So by if the Prophet is going to show mercy to Banu Quraidah, this is irresponsible of this would be irresponsible of the prophet because he would be putting the muslims in danger so how come no one is asking about the his his responsibility to protect the muslims so the harshness of that punishment was actually warranted and that is that is an indication that the prophet is a wise leader he knows when mercy is warranted he knows when it's the time to show leniency and he has, if you look at the life of the Prophet, there were many occasions when the Prophet ﷺ, he showed mercy. But there are certain situations that require harshness for the preservation of the Muslim community to ensure that others are not emboldened to attack and to annihilate uh, the Muslims. So the punishment, the fate of Banu Quraiza, uh was actually enshrined in the Qur'an. There are two Qur'anic verses that I want to share that actually uh, mention the fate and the, the destruction of Banu Quraidah. In Surah Al-Ahzab, so again, you know, this is you know, related to the Battle of Ahzab. It took place immediately after the Battle of Ahzab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 26 and 27, بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وأنزل الذين ظاهروهم من أهل الكتاب من صياصيهم وقذف في قلوبهم الرعب فريقا تقتلون وتأسرون فريقا The Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran he says and he brought down those who supported them those who supported the Quraysh the Ahzab who supported them among the people of the scripture, meaning the Jews, the Ahlul Kitab, from their fortresses, meaning Allah brought them down from their fortresses. They surrendered because of the siege of the Muslims and cast terror into their hearts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put fear into their hearts. He took their will to fight out of them. He cast fear into their hearts so that a party you killed and you took captive a party. There were a group of them that you killed. So there's no doubt that some of the Quraidah were killed. No one is denying that. This is, there's a Quranic verse 
that attests to the fact that some members of Banu Quraidha were executed. The, the dispute is about how many and who exactly was executed. And you took captive a party. So the women and the children were taken as captives. And also there are some, there are some Muslim historians that believe that many of those captives were actually ransomed. Because if that many Jewish women and children were absorbed into the Muslim community and they were taken as slaves, we would have surely received reports about you know some of the, the struggles of these the Jewish women and children, and uh, you know how challenging it was for them to integrate into the Muslim households who took them as slaves. But we don't have you know many reports like that. So it seems that those captives were probably ransomed or freed by the Prophet ﷺ. So when it comes to the number of adult males who were executed, it's probably much less than seven, 800. It's probably equivalent to the number of men who you could house in a home in 7th century Arabia. And with respect to the women and the children, it seems that because of the absence of narrations about the struggles of, of Jewish women and children, their struggles in uh, integrating into Muslim households, the absence of those reports, because if that many Jew, uh, Jewish women and children were taken as slaves and they were uh, taken into Muslim households, we would have, surely there would be narrations, many, many narrations. That, uh, that would have highlighted that. But because of the scarcity of those narrations, uh, we have reason to believe that many of them were presumably uh, ransomed or, or freed. Now, there were some, of course, that were taken uh, and uh, were absorbed into Muslim households. There's no denying that. But it seems that the majority of them were either ransomed or freed. So, uh, verse number 27, going back to the two, to the two verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of the uh, the end of uh, Quraidha or the fate of Quraidha, Allah says in verse number twenty-seven. And He caused you to inherit their land and their homes and their properties. And a land which you had, which you have not trodden, right? The fortress of Quraidah, especially within the fortress, these Jewish lands, no, none of these Arabs ever stepped foot in them. You know, Jews were very uh, particular about uh, security, and so you know these lands were not even touched or stepped on by the Arabs or or the Muslims. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, He says, "I cause you to inherit lands." that your feet had never touched. And ever is Allah over all things uh, powerful and competent. Now a question, uh, actually an accusation that has been leveled against the Prophet because of, the, because of how he dealt with the Jews of Banu Quraidha, some have made the ridiculous claim that the execution of Banu Quraidha was motivated by anti-Semitism, that the Prophet is anti-Semitic. Now, of course, this is a frivolous argument, uh, and I'll just mention, uh, I'll mention three reasons why 
the execution of Banu Quraidah was not motivated by uh, anti-Semitism. Number one, Bani Quraidah, the, 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 the simple fact is, the reality is that Banu Quraidah, they weren't executed for being Jews. They were executed for treason. If the Prophet ﷺ had an issue with Jews, he would, have, he would have never allowed them to live in Medina. The Prophet ﷺ had no issue with them. He has an issue with treason. Just like any leader is going to have an issue if certain members of the society are going to commit treason. In our previous session, we spoke about one particular Jew who disassociated himself. He was a member of Banu Quraidah. Am- Amr bin Su'da, he was a Jew who disassociated himself from Banu Quraidah. He did not agree that, the Mus- that Banu Quraidah should uh, betray the Prophet. So he actually left, he fled uh, his own people and he was allowed, you know, one of the, the Muslims, the guards, uh, saw him and he was allowed to flee. So if the Prophet and the Muslims are anti-Semitic, they would have killed every single Jew. But they allowed uh, the likes of, of Amr bin Su'da to, to flee. So that, that highlights that the punishment was for treason, not for being Jewish. Number two, the execution of Banu Quraidah did not in any way set a precedent for the future treatment of Jews in Muslim territories. So even if you examine Islamic history after the Prophet you see that even during the most oppressive periods in Islamic history, Jews under Islamic rule, under Muslim rule, they received far better treatment and they had more rights, they had greater rights than when they were under the rule of Christianity and Christians. So if there was something inherently anti-Semitic about Islamic teachings, how can you explain the treatment of Jews under uh, Islamic governments? They were treated much better than they were treated under uh, governments that claimed to be Christian. Another important issue that that needs to be highlighted is that the punishment meted out to Banu Quraidah is not something that even surprised them because the punishment that they were given was actually in accordance with the Torah. It was in in accordance with the Old Testament. This is the same punishment that the Jews would have given to their enemies. So for instance, if you look at the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 20, verses 10 to 14, it says, and when you march, so uh, the, the, the children of Israel are being addressed, and when you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. So if you conquer a city, if the people 
you know, uh, they show peace, they don't fight, then because you are superior to them, because you're the chosen ones, you know, subject them to forced labor. If they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, if some, so, so the Old Testament is saying that if someone fights against you, O children of Israel, lay siege to that city. So this is exactly what the Muslims do. They laid siege to Banu Quraidah because Banu Quraidah fought against them. When the Lord your God delivers it in your hand, meaning when you are victorious over your combative enemies, put to the sword all the men in it. So the Jews are instructed that when you are dealing with enemy combatants, siege their city and put all of their men to death. Kill the men. As for the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves. You may take it as war booty. And you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. This is exactly the punishment that was given to Banu Qurayla. This is exactly the type of punishment that they would have imposed on their enemies. So Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad essentially gave them the same verdict that is found in their Torah. This, this is not some unfair judgment. And this is why you know, many of them, uh, they were expecting uh, this, uh, this verdict. I think uh, I was going to speak a little bit about the, uh, the death of Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad, but I, there's a bit uh, of detail. Inshallah, I'll leave that for our next uh, episode. Uh, so we'll speak about uh, the death of Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad. So the man who, who gives this, uh, this verdict to, uh, to Banu Quraidha shortly after he dies. And uh, there's a very beautiful narration uh, about... Uh, about his funeral and how the Prophet sallallahu alaihi led uh, his funeral, and inshallah we'll speak about that in more detail in our next session. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for tuning in to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad. Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala Muhammadin wa alihi tahirin.